0: Good morning. Am I on? Everybody can hear me good? All right. Good. Um, it's wonderful to be uh, together with you this morning and, and worshiping together with you. And uh, Marcel and I are so very thankful to uh, to be with you and to, to share with you. Um, sort of the format for this morning is I'd like to um, Um, share from the Word of God the passage that was read for us earlier, Uh, and then I'm going to provide you with an update on the seven different ministries of Union Gospel Mission, and then Marcel will come and share about the work that Christ has done in in his life. So we'll have sort of three different segments to the the morning. So um, if you have a Bible, if you can take take it, open it up to the passage that was read for us. So it's uh, John chapter 8 verses 1 to 11, and uh, I thought I was going to be reading the the passage, but it was read for me, so uh, uh, we're going to dive into it uh, verse by verse, so if you have a Bible, please open it up to uh, John chapter 8, and starting in verse 1. Then each went to his own home, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. So, according to Matthew Henry's commentary, it is thought that Jesus went to the Mount of Olives either to pray to his heavenly Father or because he wanted to stay out of the tumult in the large center of Jerusalem. Let's take a uh, look at verse 2. At dawn, he appeared again to the temple courts where all the people gathered around him and he sat down to teach them. So Jesus took full advantage of the day ahead of him and started teaching sorry started teaching early in the morning. The temple was a gathering place for people in the town, so this is where he chose to teach the people. By Jesus choosing to sit down, this indicated to the people that he wanted to take the necessary time to teach and to ensure that they understood. Verse 3. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group. You will notice that the scribes were not interested in listening to Jesus, and in fact, they interrupted him while he was teaching others. Verse 4. And Jesus said, Teacher, This woman was caught in the act of adultery. The fact that this woman was caught in the act made it impossible for her to say anything to the contrary of what was being said against her. Since adultery was viewed as an exceedingly sinful sin, they also provided the consequence which was to stone her, essentially death. Verse 5, in the law, Moses commanded us to stone-eat such women. Now, what do you say? The Pharisees were not genuinely interested in looking for an appropriate response from Christ. They were, in fact, trying to trick Jesus. Verse 6, they were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. If Jesus would have confirmed the sentence of the law, then they would have argued that he is inconsistent with himself, as he readily received harlots. On the other hand, if he would say that the sentence should not be executed, then they would say that he is an enemy of the law of Moses who who came to correct control and destroy the law of the prophets. Verse 7. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, If any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Jesus responded by slighting their question and turning a deaf ear to it, by bending down and writing on the ground. We do not know what he wrote. By saying, if anyone is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her, he avoided the snare, and the situation ended up with those, these people accusing themselves, even though they sought to accuse him. Let's look at verse 8. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Essentially, after his startling words, he left them to consider for themselves by again writing on the ground. Moving on to verse 9, at this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. What Jesus said frightened them and their own consciences show them to themselves. They left on their own quietly because they were afraid that if Jesus would lift himself up again and speak, that they would be shamed before men, and so they thought that it might be best if they were to withdraw. The reason the older folks Left first is likely because they were the most guilty or possibly because they were the first aware of the danger that they were in of feeling shame. The younger ones took the lead from the older ones. And then verses 10 and 11. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, why are, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you. Jesus declared, go now and leave your life of sin. Notice that the woman speaks respectfully to the Lord and she does not triumph in their retreat or insult their accusers. We likewise need to be willing to forgive others as Christ has forgiven us. Jesus released this woman from temporal punishment and also by saying, neither do I condemn you, forgave her of her eternal punishment. I would now like to challenge you with one way to apply this message, this passage, to our own lives. How do you feel about the people in our province who are not contributing to society and are on income assistance or in an addiction recovery program? What about people who come for meals at Union Gospel Mission or those people you see who aren't dressed as nice as you or don't look after themselves like you or I do or who don't smell as nice as we do? My encouragement for you today is to look at these people the way God does when he sees them as one of his children whom he loves and looks at Their heart and not what we see on the outside. Unfortunately, we are quick to form first impressions based on what we see on the outside, and we fail to look at people the way God does. I urge you to look people in their eyes, smile at them, and give them a word of encouragement. Don't judge them as the Pharisees judged the woman they brought before Jesus, or get thrown off by what you see on the outside. As we saw from this passage here this morning, we should not judge people as we are sinners just the same. According to Jesus' words, we are to love our neighbors as ourselves. I just want to say thank you to to Vern for connecting uh, with me in regards to myself and Marcel coming here um, this morning, Um, and thank you, as uh, the pastor has already said this morning, for everyone who made the effort to to bring uh, various item uh, items, clothing, and other items. Uh, We brought the big five-ton truck, so we're we're ready to go uh, with with bringing everything back to be uh, used to serve people who are struggling with, with poverty and addiction. Um, thank you to Marcel Anderson, who uh, beat me to the mission this morning before uh, 7 o'clock and had the truck going, and uh, who accompanied me on the on the drive here today. Um, above all, I'm thankful to God for loving us so much that he gave his son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. In that in that we can... Uh, live free from addiction here on earth, we can have peace and hope and joy in our short times here on earth, and most importantly, we can long for the day that we can spend forever with our Heavenly Father in heaven. My name is uh, Frank Ulrich, and I'm the Executive Director of Union Gospel Mission. I've been blessed to be able to serve at the mission for the past three years. Um, My wife, Monica, she teaches grade seven at Linden Christian School in the city. Uh, We have two boys. Uh, Joel is 20 and uh, he loves playing the flute. And just in fact, last night we were uh, at the Winnipeg Music Festival and there was 16 people that advanced to the final stage and we're blessed that uh, Joel won won the uh, woodwind and brass section. So he got a a little plaque and, and, and such, so we have a very musical uh, uh, individual living in our home. Uh, our younger son Shane, he's 17 and he is uh, abruptly, <laughs> he was in hockey, uh, the, the uh, semifinals for the city championship, but the, si- the uh, season abruptly came to the end. Uh, they were supposed to play a game four last night, so his uh, minor hockey career, uh, ended as he's he's 17 years old. I feel very blessed and, and thankful that I can be part of Union Gospel Mission. We have been providing Christ-centered programs to addicted and poor people for, it'll be 87 years this October. So uh, it started in the height of the Great Depression in 1933, Union Gospel Mission, and uh, we're, we're, thanks to God, uh, operating... Uh, soon to be 87 years later. I love the fact that through the seven ministries, men, women, and children have the opportunity to begin a relationship with Jesus and then most importantly, spend eternity in heaven. So Union Gospel Mission has seven ministries that I would like to share uh, with you about this morning. So first off, our street ministry. We lovingly invite men and women from the community uh, into our chapel at 320 Princess Street to hear volunteers uh, share the gospel message with uh, those that are struggling with poverty and addiction. Prior to providing a warm, nutritious meal to these children of God, we provide them with the bread of life. Luke 6.35 says, and Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger. He who believes in me shall never thirst. People need to have food, shelter, clothing, which we lovingly provide. More importantly, people need to have a relationship with Jesus so that they can have peace and joy during their short times here on earth, but more importantly, so that they can spend eternity with Jesus in heaven. We are blessed to have places like May Street Grocery, Sobeys Safeway, Vita Health, Hutterite Colonies, and farmers who bless us with wonderful food that staff and volunteers prepare to allow us to nourish people's bodies. We are blessed to have generous people like yourselves donate clothing to the mission. In fact, um, yeah, we have toss boxes around the province and we have... Uh, uh, thrift stores that we pick up clothing with and you guys provided us with a bunch of clothing so we're super blessed with uh, with all this uh, uh, this clothing and other items uh, we are also blessed to have volunteers go through the clothing that is donated to ensure that we are providing appropriate clothing that is in good condition to people in the community as well as the folks in our addictions recovery programs uh, we use our five ton truck which we brought with us here today Uh, to pick up clothing from our uh, clothing boxes as well as thrift stores throughout the province, like I mentioned. Last summer we began a relationship with Adult and Teen Challenge whereby we provide them with clothing that we do not need for the community or our residents. They use this clothing for their thrift stores while this provides us with an additional income source. I am thankful that we can work together with another organization that is working with men and women struggling with addiction in our province. People come into our drop-in center and they have access to our clothing room. Men in our program will lovingly provide the clothing to our guests from the community. Folks that struggle with poverty typically do a lot of walking, so proper, good-fitting footwear is especially important to these people. Last summer, we had our second annual Summer Celebration for Christ. This is an opportunity to lift up the name of Jesus in the open air in downtown Winnipeg. We have a number of praise and worship groups come and use their musical gifts for his honor and glory. We also have speakers share the gospel with people living in the community and provide them with hope and encouragement from the Bible. As the Holy Spirit leads, we are able to pray with people and make them aware of our seven ministries. Of course, food is always good to bring people together. I hear we're having a potluck today. (laughs) On New Year's Day, we are blessed to be able to serve the community. We had 50 volunteers praying for over... um, uh, praying... For over uh, many numerous uh, prayer requests that were submitted to us, we shared the gospel message with 325 people that came into our facility. Praise God! 11 people made a decision for Christ at our our New Year's Day service on January the first. Thanks to our volunteers, we were able to provide a hot, delicious meal. This also provides an atmosphere where people can experience a connection with other people for those who do not have family connections. So our second out of our seven ministries is our men's addiction recovery program. So also at our uh, building on the corner of Higgins and Princess, we currently have 26 men who have a desire to overcome their addiction to alcohol, drugs, pornography, gambling, or others. Men in the program attend daily Bible classes, assist with chores associated with our street ministry, with the purpose of developing a relationship with Jesus so that they can re-enter society and become responsible fathers, husbands, employees, and church members. From a biblical perspective... The class leaders will delve into such topics as who you are in Christ, forgiveness, dealing with anger, and relationships. We are blessed to be able to take the men that we are working closely with on day trips for the purpose of building relationships and allowing them to experience God's presence in His creation. Last summer, these excursions included watching the Goldeyes play baseball and water sports, thanks to a volunteer coming out and allowing us to use his boat and equipment. On another occasion, we had the opportunity to go to beautiful West Hawk Lake in the White Shell and enjoy God's creation. It was an especially meaningful day as five men in our program made a public confession of our faith in Jesus, of their faith in Jesus, allowing our senior chaplain, Mark, to baptize them in the lake. This was an encouragement to the other men in the program, our staff and the general public who were on the lakeshore. In fact, this afternoon um, at a church that one of our uh, managers is the pastor of, uh, an additional two men in our addiction recovery program will be baptized. So for that, we are uh, giving thanks to God. It's very important for people that typically spend most of their time in the city to be able to get outside the city and breathe in the fresh air and see the beautiful trees and listen to the birds. I don't need to tell you that, people that are living uh, outside of the city. You experience that all the time. We are also blessed to have the Ron Hebert Lounge. Friends of the late Ron Hebert continue to support the men's program by supplying funds to keep the lounge in good condition. When the men are not in classes or supporting the street ministry, they can be found cheering on the bombers and jets. Not right now. (laughs) Um, The third of our seven uh, ministries is our women's addiction recovery program. We are very blessed to have a beautiful 45-room live-in facility on Archibald Street for women and their children who want to overcome their addiction to alcohol and or drugs, especially meth. God has blessed us so that we can better utilize the space that we have at the CARA Center. As you can see, for the first half of um, this year, we are working with approximately 30 people. This is due to prayer, uh, Lorianne's leadership in developing the program and collaboration. We now take our 24-passenger bus to Main Street Project, which is another organization, their detox, and invite ladies to come for a tour to learn and see where they are able to come into an addiction recovery program once they are done their 10 days of detox. On our last... uh, We just did a tour this past Friday. I I haven't heard the, the actual count, but generally speaking, there's about 8 to 12 women that come from Main Street Project Detox for a tour. Uh, As of now, we are working with 20 women and three children. In the fall, um, we celebrated Marjorie's graduation from the HEART program. Marjorie also happens to be in our adult education program. This coming Thursday, we're going to celebrate um, Stephanie's graduation. She'll be uh, one year in the HEART program. This treatment center has solid programming from morning until night. Women come into an an initial phase of the program and then they may decide to continue on in our one-year program, which we refer to as the heart program. The classes that we provide are biblically based and include such topics as impacts of trauma, the importance of healthy relationships, and dealing with grief and loss. It is very important that these women have a safe place to be where they can focus on themselves and who they are in Christ. On Sundays, we drive the participants to church so that they can worship God, receive teaching from the Word of God, and start to develop a connection to a church which will be vital for them when they move on from our program. It's very important that we are working with people to improve their spiritual, mental, emotional, emotional, and physical health. We are blessed to have a large space with good equipment which allows the women to improve their physical health. It is important that you think about something else that, than your past or your relationships. Working out is one way to do that. Thanks to the support uh, of a church, In the city, we were able to create a beautiful salon. If your hair looks good, this helps you feel good about yourself. Having a volunteer hairdresser do your hair makes you feel really good on the inside. Those of you who have been blessed with children know that they are a gift from God, and we love our children very dearly. Most of the women that come into our program are mothers, and in in addition to going through the process of sobriety they are also separated from their children, which as you can imagine is extremely difficult. Thankfully at the care center we are able to provide for gradual reunification between mom and her children. This includes indoor and outdoor places for children to play and we also provide childcare for children when their mothers are in classes. Earlier this year, the residents in the program, actually this was last year, (laughs) uh, we were able to see the live portrayal of Jesus' uh, life depicted in the annual Passion Play um, outdoor in southern Manitoba. When it was warmer last summer, we had a beach day at Burtsell Park. A fourth ministry is our Christian education program. Through our donors, we are able to provide approximately 70 boys and girls the opportunity to attend a private Christian school called Faith Academy. This school employs Christian men and women and provides a wonderful culture for boys and girls to be able to begin and develop their relationships with Jesus. Gilbert, our family ministries manager, prayerfully makes efforts to get into the homes of these dear children in order to share the love of Jesus with the rest of the family. In this day and age where children are exposed to so much evil in the form of music and video, it is paramount that young people know truth in order to navigate through the deception in this world and secure their eternal destiny in heaven. This is a tremendous way that we can positively impact the north end of Winnipeg. When young children have a relationship with Jesus, this will change them, then their families, and then complete neighborhoods. Matthew nineteen fourteen says, let the little children come to me, and do not forbid them, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. Another one of our ministries is to children and youth. Last summer, we were blessed to be able to send 1,346 boys and girls to one of 13 Christian camps in Manitoba. Praise God, 150 precious children invited Jesus into their hearts at camp this summer. An additional 210 boys and girls made a recommitment in their relationship with Jesus at camp. Our camp register is very busy after the camping season, following up on each boy and girl and connecting with their parents or guardians. Cassie is reaching out to connect each child to a nearby youth group and church in order that they can continue to grow as a disciple of Jesus and to be around good influences and have supports in their lives. Another one of our ministries is our family ministries. Wednesdays are a special day at the Family Life Center. The women from our addiction recovery program join other women from the community for a time of praise and worship, a devotional, lunch, and then have access to our clothing boutique. The church is the bride of Christ. When we worship together with other believers, it encourages us in our faith. We also provide emergency food hampers to those in need in the community out of this location. On Tuesday and Thursday afternoons, our women's ministry leader, Marlene, leads a Bible study with approximately 12 women from the community. This is a great time for these women to study God's Word together and pray together. At the end of July, we held our annual free giveaway and barbecue event on Pritchard Avenue. The day starts out with Gilbert, our family ministries manager, praying and then announcing to hundreds of people from the community to begin shopping. God very specifically answered Gilbert's prayer for 40 volunteers to assist with the setup and takedown, in that exactly 40 volunteers were present that day. Praise God. We were blessed to be able to give out approximately 50 Bibles that day. And finally, our seventh ministry, our adult education ministry. At our faith learning center on Pritchard Avenue as well, it's two different buildings, we are able to provide people in the community the opportunity to obtain their grade 12 education. Our two teachers and principals, principals start out each day praying for the students This is followed by the teachers doing a devotional and prayer with the students. Grade 12 education is vital for people to be able to find employment or further their education if they so choose. Employment is vital for people to become independent and also helps a person's self-worth. The students we serve struggle with significant trauma in their lives, including being threatened or worse yet, stabbed. They also are quite transient and frequently are on and off reserves in Northern Manitoba. Our teachers and programs take into account these dynamics by offering a very flexible approach to doing their studies. The highlight of the year is definitely graduation. At the end of June, we celebrated with Candice and Crete along with their families as they obtained their grade 12 mature student diploma. This year, we are anticipating that approximately nine more people will graduate. So you've heard about our seven different ministries, and I do want to say thank you to uh, Killarney Mennonite Church for your uh, generous financial support for many, many years. We sincerely appreciate your support. So there's three different ways that you can partner with us. So one is through prayer. Please remember to pray for the mission and if you would like to receive specific information of people to pray for four times a year, please email us at prayer at Secondly, stay connected. Please take the time to read our Voices from the Street newsletter. I saw some just behind the pews there earlier uh, that you receive here at your church four times a year, or we can send that um, document to you. Please visit our website, for current information on what is happening at the mission, what we can praise God for, and videos that you can watch from the comfort of your homes, of lives that God has transformed. And lastly, give. We are almost exclusively funded by individual people like you, so please consider giving to God's work in our province. In fact, we only receive 15% of our funding from the provincial government. So that means that we get 85% of the funds required to operate the seven ministries from individuals like you. You are playing a significant part in changing the life of someone who has grown up in poverty or someone who had a terrible upbringing or trauma in their life which has resulted in addiction and or poverty. In 2019, 460 men, women and children Invited Jesus into their hearts or made a recommitment to following Jesus through the seven ministries of Union Gospel Mission. And for that, we praise God. So I would now like to invite Marcel to come up and uh, share with you. Yeah.
1: Good morning, everyone. Hope everyone's having a good morning. Um, Yeah, I I get excited when I get called to go share at a new church. It's, um, It's a cool feeling because I get to come share the love of Christ and what he's done for me. But another thing is I like the different buildings I get to see and how the layouts are. So it's, it's kind of an exciting thing, kind of exciting too, trying to shake people's hands this morning. But everyone's like, <laughs> so I was a little different. <laughs> um, yeah, um, heard about the potluck too. Frank mentioned you want to stay for the potluck, I guess. little testimony, I went to go share at a church. And as we were going, it was all based on a potluck sharing type thing. And I didn't know what a potluck meant and um, when I got there, I, I was to find out that it was a lot of food made by the community, different types of foods, and man, we, we stayed there stuffed all evening, like I was just praising the Lord, driving back, I was so full. <laughs> so yeah, once uh, Frank asked me, do you wanna stay for the potluck? And I'm like, of course, we're, we're in. <laughs> so yeah, uh, I just wanted to uh, ask if we can bow our heads in a Lord of Prayer, and I'll get started. Lord, Heavenly Father, Thank you for blessing us with another beautiful day thank you for shedding your blood and dying for us on the cross dear lord ask your holy spirit to come now and be present dear lord open the hearts of every individual that's here to receive this message i thank you for everything you have given us dear lord thank you for union gospel mission thank you for frank thank you for all my brothers and sisters here dear lord that have come to hear what you have done in my life dear lord and all glory to you as i share amen So, my name's Marcel Anderson. Um, I grew up in Winnipeg. Uh, I was born October 7th, 1986, 33 years old. Um, You know, um, I came into this world a little different than most. Um, I was born intoxicated. Um, My mom was going through some severe troubles um, that she had faced growing up with alcoholism. as well as my father. Um, They are both deceased now. Um, I don't want to be a little too loud. (laughs) I'm just like (laughs) very sensitive. Um, And um, due to that, I became a permanent ward at the age of four. And to be honest with you, from birth to the age of four, I really don't have a rap sheet or a history of my life. It was kind of something that CFS kind of swept underneath the rug, so I can't really share detail of what happened through those years, but I do have a piece of paper um, that's pretty yellow when my mom passed and she left behind. um, Those were my permanent ward papers of when I became um, a permanent ward in Child and Family Services. So a permanent ward is a child that will be labeled as someone that's going to be in the system until they're 18 because mom and dad can no longer provide the care that um, a child needs. So in my early years as a child, I could remember painful memories, more painful memories than happy memories, you know. um, I was one of those kids at Harold Hatchard School in Transcona, that was one of my first foster homes, you know, just yearning and wanting that love and acceptance from my mom and dad, which I barely knew. And um, just to see kids at school happy, you know, getting the love and acceptance from their mom and dad, as they leave the schools and go to their soccer practices, I'd be the kid on the curb just watching that transpire and just you know kind of wonder why that can't be me feeling. And um, I grew to uh, bury that pain with a lot of the hurts that i would witnessed during weekend visits. Now, when I was in the foster care, um, if my mom was sober and okay for me to have a visit on the weekend, they would allow it. Um, during those weekend visits, it was not a very <laughs> good upbringing and thing to see, and I wouldn't want any child to go through it. It was uh, pretty much starting off with opening a door filled filled with bottles, filled with empties, filled with alcoholism, filled with um, dangerous people, you know. And, of course, those people didn't come until the CFS worker approved for me to go in, and which my mom um, kind of taught me how to lie and bury all those things that's going on in her life and my life. So as I would enter into my mom's home, you know, it would, be, it would look clean, everything would be okay. Harriet, you sober? Yep. Yeah. And okay, here's your son, you can have him for the day, maybe overnight if everything goes well. But you know, once the door shut, and everything didn't go well. That's when the bottles of beers came out. That's when uh, my brothers that were already fully involved in gangs came over and um, terrible things happened. You know, And uh, I found myself uh, learning how to survive in those homes with my mom because she had five boys. There was me, Arnold, James, Michael, and Billy. And um, I realized my mom carried a heavy burden because none of our fathers were in our lives. And um, she needed to play that father role. So she would teach me how to survive during that time because she knew CFS, it wasn't a very good thing to be growing up in so she had to teach me quick. And so I'd find myself at a very young age, eight, seven years old, um, you know, going with notes to the merchants in the north end um, to get beer for my mom. Um, She would sometimes enter a bar and as she entered the bar I'd be sitting on a curb either with a rock or a stick waiting for her to come out because I knew sometimes mom would come out fighting, sometimes mom would come out with dangerous people. And we'd have to bring them into my mom's home because my mom knew when I entered a home, you know, the cupboards were empty and we needed to eat. So she taught me to um, wait till people would pass out at the party, wait for these people to kind of know if I could take them on or if I had a brother with me or a friend. And once they had passed out, she'd teach me a trick to um, take off my shoes so it would be uh, less quiet as you're walking in a house filled with beer and stains all over the floor. Um, When you wear your socks, you can actually kind of creep around the house. So I found myself at a young age doing that for my mom to rifle through pockets to get money and um, give it to my mom. And sometimes she would get the odd groceries for me to eat, but most of the time it would go to alcohol, drugs and for the next party. So I'd find myself being stripped by Billy Sibler, one of my uh, social workers for 16 years, from my mom's arms, kicking, screaming, crying. I think that was one of my most painful memories as a child was to be just taken from the care and love of my mom. And at that time, I th- that's what was normal to me uh, with my mom was that I thought everything she was showing me was how a mom should love a child. So I learned the wrong way, I developed wrong. So. Each time I was stripped from my mom's arms, you know, I'd find myself in the back of a car, looking out the back window, screaming and crying for her as I was nursing her before um, CFS came to pick me up. And I'd go back to my foster home where some of the homes weren't um, very friendly. Some of them, you know, were pretty painful places where some sexual abuse would happen, some hurts, some name-calling, some... uh, Let's just say I just felt very rejected, abandoned, unloved in some of these homes. And it was hard to reach out to my mom during weekend visits because I was that little boy just screaming for attention, trying to say, Mom, help me. But she can't help because she's very sick. And um, it was a painful thing to experience as a child. And I took all that bitterness and hatred and rejection and, you know, I obviously turned it into something bad where, um, you know, at the age of 10 years old, I was already climbing in windows, doing B&E's with foster brothers and foster sisters. You know, I I was so small that they could easily just push me in a window and, but during those things that I was doing um, at a very young age, I'd always try to see a way of providing for my friends, providing for my family, providing for my mom. I always wanted to take care of people when I was young, but obviously I was doing it in the wrong way. And um, till this day when I look back at my childhood and I see children with their moms at churches and children at the mission and people that kind of haven't been in that cycle of CFS and alcohol and addiction, you know, I just thank God for delivering me from that part of my life. So, um, um, sorry, I got my uh, phone here on. If it's not my speech, it's usually my time frame. Sometimes when Frank calls me out to share 10 minutes, Marcel, I'm up there 45. Really, so I'm trying to be respectful and fast. But anyways, yeah, so uh, obviously all that hurt as a child. You know, I, I knew I was growing up and I need to, to learn a few things. You know, I was uh, not very smart at school. i would made it to, I don't know, I got a grade eight education. I've been to 14 different schools due to the constant moving around in child and family services and uh, I just never felt wanted or I belonged in school because I was too worried if my mom was being abused at her next party if I was going to be hurt at this next home that I was moved in or if I'm going to survive the night you know some some homes I was in I uh, I'd witnessed um, fridges locked and stuff so I'd go AOL with foster brothers and find myself digging in BFI bins at 7-Eleven so we can eat late at night and the teachers would see us the next day filled with mustard and ketchup and they knew something was up and it's like Marcel we heard you ran away what happened type thing and that was my idea of fun you know and at the same time I really didn't know I was just trying to survive so I learned that fun for me back in the day was completely opposite of what fun is to some people today but You know, I I feel God's grace during those moments where, you know, I was hungry and I was in need. He was actually there with me through all that time as a child. And I'm so grateful that I'm here to share that and let that out. It's always a, a hard thing to come and share my childhood and my testimony because I want to live in the future and the present with Christ. I don't want to live back there anymore. But at the same time, I know that God calls us to come share how he can bring somebody out of that. So with that being said, you know, my youth days, I was already involved with street gangs. I was already out on the street selling drugs. I was one of those kids that would stand at either any bar downtown or in the north end of Winnipeg, you know, waiting to rob somebody, waiting to sell dope to someone waiting to get into someone else's home waiting. I was always finding a way to try and destroy another life, another family because I had all that hurt and things bottled up inside my heart that I didn't know how to let go of. And of course came the addiction. I was addicted to OxyContin for quite some time, cocaine, um, alcohol, not too much of alcohol. It was mainly the street drugs because um, I had a lot of stuff that I harvested as a CFS ward into my adulthood that I needed to bury and um, what better way for someone like the previous life of me to bury those emotions and feelings I found that in drugs and I found that in the street life I found that in the gangs and I found that until this day I just can't believe how crazy I was you know the definition of insanity doing the same things over again expecting different results and Um, I ended up in prison after a lot of these stints. Um, I did my first armed robbery when I was 18, and um, I went to prison, and on the inside I kind of got closer to more of the gang members and more of the people that I used to look up to at that time. You know, that's all I wanted to be, was like my brothers that are doing life sentences across uh, Canada. At that time, my brother was... uh, convicted for second degree murder and you know what when you're 17 15 years old hearing that your brothers in jail you want to carry that image too you want to make sure you go back to the streets and feel protected and wanted and loved and you just want that acceptance and of course the lord showed me that's not where i'm going to find that acceptance by getting the tattoos the gang outfit and doing things for people that are just destroying communities and breaking lives So I learned the hard way in prison, where I wanted to take my life, I wanted to end my life. And uh, I was on methadone, and the methadone helps you come off those street drugs. And um, after a court date where I lost my children, they became permanent wards. Um, I wanted to take my life, I was facing a five-year sentence, and um, I I just didn't want to live because I had people on the streets wanting to kill me. I just lost my family. Um, The only way I knew how to provide for my family was robbing, stealing, selling drugs, and taking from other people. And I realized that was the wrong way of doing things and providing. So uh, I quit the methadone cold turkey on the inside, which led me to a suicide cell. And uh, in that suicide cell, that's where I was to meet an individual by the name of Greg and he mentioned, you know, I see your file, Marcel, it's a very big file, and I just wanted to come tell you that the only person in this world and that ever existed that can actually help you was Jesus Christ, and at that moment, I didn't know who he was. Um, the only time I've heard of God was through um, my mom's tape player, when she would listen to Hank William tapes, and she'd put me on her lap, and she'd tell me, my boy, go plus rewind, and... Um, There was a song, uh, I Saw the Light by Hank Williams, and now that I look back and hear the lyrics, you know, that was a little bit of God in my mom's home, and because I just wanted her to have fun and be happy, and um, so when I was in the suicide cell, that's when uh, Greg came to see me, pulled up a chair, and shared the love of Christ for me. It didn't embed in my heart at that moment. All I knew was that I was sitting in a cell, ready to die, and I had... I just felt like I had nobody anymore. I lost everything and lost everyone. And as he left, you know, he, he taught me to pray. He told me to pray. This is how you do it. And I, I didn't know what to think at that moment when I was sitting in that cell and you know, I'm facing five years. I just seen my lawyer. I just seen my kids in court being taken away as permanent wards and signing the papers that I'm not a fit father to be with my children. And it hurt. I was very struck and down in court by officials and they told the truth. I was a dangerous person. And I shouldn't be around my children. I shouldn't. I shouldn't be a father. I, you know, I'm, I'm a threat to society and a threat to myself and others. So, with all that hurt and baggage and everything from my past as a child to that suicide cell, I I thought about God when He mentioned that He's the only one that can save me. So. That night, one of those nights I got on my hands and knees, and at that moment I prayed to him. When I didn't believe him, I just said, ask for help. I didn't ask him to come into my heart. I didn't ask him to save me, I just said, help me. I don't know who you are, but everyone's telling me that you're real and I just need your help. So he got me through the years of incarceration. And when I got out, I was led to certain individuals Frank had shared about Gilbert Plante from 240 Pritchard. He works in the North End and in the North End I did a lot of crimes and a lot of growing up around there and um, he actually had a, a little card that was on his computer for a few years and when I was released, you Marcel Anderson, I said, yeah, he took the card off his computer, shook my hand, gave me a big hug, prayed for me. he's like, I've been trying to come see you in there but you're pretty stubborn like me, you kept rejecting because I knew it was a holy guy trying to come see me and talk to me and (laughs) I didn't want to do anything like that so and it kind of happened on the inside because there was actual believing Christian correctional officers that worked in the prison and they kind of led me to Salvation Army that led me to Gilbert so it was kind of cool in prison all those things transpired for me to meet the right people and I would have meet uh, Greg Stetsky. Um, he was our executive director at Union gospel mission at that time That was November 24th 2015 um, where uh, Again, my life was in jeopardy. I was running from a Lot of things a lot of hurts a lot of different gang members And I knew I was either dead or in jail and I reached out to the correctional officer that knew Greg and um, Greg came to pick me up out of a very dangerous place that I was in, in a spot I was in in my life, and he brought me to Union Gospel Mission. And that day at Union Gospel Mission, November 24, 2015, I finally, generally opened my heart up to Christ. I sat in Brother Israel's office. He used to be the senior chaplain there and shared my testimony, shared my worries, shared my hurts with him and all that. And I told him about my past, my upbringing, and all i did was was cry and weep in front of this man that i didn't even know and just to hear greg stetsky's voice in my head mentioning marcel i feel the lord called me to bring you here and when he did that's that was the greatest day that ever happened to me because i finally surrendered and let all that stuff go i actually gave it gave it to the lord and um i just feel blessed today that you know god opened up my heart that day and made me realize through his word it was Matthew 6 33 when he opened the Bible to me and he said Marcel I feel the Spirit's calling me to show you this scripture and I I didn't know scripture at that time I didn't want to know anything I just I was just fighting for my life and I was so tired and feeling lost and alone and rejected and so when he handed the Bible to me, you know, what it says in Matthew 6, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. All those tears and everything that was weighing down my glasses in that office, you know, I, I felt the Spirit right then and there speak through me. He's like, Marcel, all those things you're worried about, everything, your children, the gang, um, your enemies, um, your addiction, everything that you have gone through in your past, your parents, and all those things that you want added into your life it will be added unto you and this is the lord telling you to seek him first and then when i when i gave my life to christ i knew right then and there it was on from there cuz i i knew i was giving everything over to god i was giving everything over to that man that i heard about in that suicide cell and he's he took it over from there and i'm so happy that he did and um I'm not going to say that uh, giving my life to Christ right away everything was blue skies, roses, and white clouds. Of course, everybody's going to go through their trials and losses. I uh, buried a child. I buried my mom. Buried my dad. Um, this past November eight, we um, we lost my children's mother, and uh, and everything has to relate to why they passed was to, to like alcoholism, addiction, and. So I know the pain of staying in that hurt and watching that, that hurt take your family and loved ones, so I'm very aware of the pain of losing people, and I can recall during the time of loss at Union Gospel Mission, I I wanted to pack up, I wanted to leave, because I figured, okay, well, they just found my mom's body in her apartment, you know, 10 days badly decomposed, and I'm so lost for words at UGM, saying to myself, God, I thought you, you promised good to me. I thought you wanted, wanted me part of your family. I thought everything was gonna be okay, packed up, ready to go. And as I went downstairs to um, the dining hall to get a coffee and kind of gather my thoughts, make some more phone calls to leave, I was approached by a chaplain and a few residents to tell me not to go. And um, my encouragement today to I wanted to kind of throw a message in the mix of my testimony is you know when you read the bible and you open it up you have a lot of people that will read it and just want to kind of memorize it and um i don't think of it as a class i don't think of it as getting a good grade just because we read the bible and i really ask God to speak to my heart through the Bible. I don't want to be somebody that just reads it. I want to be someone that lives by it. And when I asked that during the program, he He granted that request because I was led to my room to read Psalm 27 by the chaplains and um, in Psalm 27 verse 10 it says my mom and dad may forsake me but the Lord will hold me close. That day when I was supposed to leave Union Gospel Mission again, he embedded scripture in my heart and and just hearing what the chaplain had to say, that Marcel, it's so clear and evident that God wants you for Himself. Did you know we have a jealous God, Marcel? And I wasn't really into my word at that time. All I knew is that I had shelter, I had clothes, I had a warm place to stay, food, and awesome people at Union Gospel Mission taking care of me. But once I read that scripture again, <laughs> the Lord spoke to my heart, and I was so grateful and thankful for that. If it wasn't for that scripture, I don't think I'd be standing here today. And um, there's awesome things too. You know what, with Union Gospel Mission, I, <laughs> I'm i employed now. I'm actually um, serving at Union Gospel Mission. I got to serve in the drop-in. I got to serve reception. I get to serve everywhere in transportation. Uh, it's so cool how God opened doors for me because when I was about to leave Union Gospel Mission after graduating the internship, I didn't know what I was gonna do with my grade eight education. I know I could move a few bags of dope, I can do this, I can do that. And that was, of course, Satan whispering in my ear, like, you ain't gonna make it, this is not for you. But I, I realized through Union Gospel Mission, um, we can be congr- congratulated by a lot of people coming from the streets, seeing testimonies like us and God change our lives. But it's another to be congratulated a year away from the program. That's when the rubber really hits the road, when we actually have to face society. And I know that society still paints me and the rest of some of my brothers at UGM with that same dark colored paintbrush. When they don't realize, when they come visit at UGM and see all the beautiful work that's being done for us, it's like we're being painted with beautiful colors. And I'm so grateful and thankful for that. Um, more to say of God's blessings. Um, I had lost my children years ago, like I shared, and um, not not even nine months ago, I received a letter from Child and Family Services asking me if I wanted to start to know my children, maybe write them a letter, because they they don't know if you're dead or in jail, or how you're doing, and it was an awesome opportunity to take advantage of that, so that was the Lord kind of showing me a way to break that cycle of what I just came out of. So now I'm currently involved in one of my children's life. His name's Marcel Jr. He's nine years old. This April 10th, he'll be 10. And the other day, I got to be blessed to go to my first parent-teacher interview, whatever that's called, where you go see how the son, the, the child's doing and get an update. And as I was sitting there, I, I just felt the, the Lord's presence with me and my boy, because in his journal, he was mentioning how Jesus changed my life. Like, he found out I was a missionary at Union Gospel Mission, and he's just writing nothing but the Lord in his journal at school, and how he gave me back to him. And you know what? I just thought of myself in some of those schools, wishing I had mom and dad to comfort me and come see some of my work, but that didn't happen. So God gave me a new heart. He actually this heart of stone and gave me a heart of flesh, like it says in Ezekiel, and um, I get to share that with my sons. so if it wasn't for Jesus Christ, I wouldn't be able to start breaking that cycle of what so many families go through in Winnipeg, and um, I'm just happy and blessed to stand here today and testify that God truly changed my life, and I love coming up with Frank when he gives me an opportunity, and I'm going to be honest, I I didn't want to get all excited for the sharing when when frank mentioned yeah it's a two-hour drive that's what got me to come because i I love traveling i've never traveled before i'm a city boy the only places i ever traveled is with union gospel mission when they go to different churches and to share and stuff like that so i like seeing things that you know how you watch a movie and you see jamaica and all that stuff like that so that's one of the prayers in my heart's desires is to keep seeing god's creation so coming to a church like this and seeing you wonderful people is a blessing to me too plus the potluck i'm so looking forward to (laughs) but other than that yeah union gospel mission i've i've uh, bettered myself i i learned to read i learned to write better Um, i got to finally trust in him and that was one of my discouragements growing up was reaching out for help that was hard because each time i reached out for help i was always Rejected abandoned thrown away. Oh, you're Marcel read your paper file now. That's So I was used to that but at union gospel mission. It wasn't like that It was like there's our open door. There's our chaplains come on in Let's give this to the lord and that's the main thing what we're here for right and um, When I would share the hurts and everything and pray about it the power of prayer is what kept me going and kept what's keeping me going now, so I just wanted to thank everyone for allowing me to come up. I'd love to share a lot more. Frank knows that. I can be up here for an hour. But anyways, um, I just want to say thank you for inviting us out. And um, God bless you guys. And I just wanted to end off with a word of prayer. And we'll go chow down downstairs, wherever that is. Lord, Heavenly Father, thank you once again for blessing me with times to share with these people, dear Lord. I know my heart is in many different places lately, dear Lord. My family's grieving. My children are grieving for their mother, dear Lord. And I know lately I've (laughs) my heart's been everywhere, dear Lord, but in the presence of these people, dear Lord, I want to let it out because even the weight of the world sometimes really hurts, but I know the body of Christ is here, dear Lord, and if I keep reaching out for help, I'll receive that help, dear Lord. So humble me in the presence of this church, dear Lord, that I'm still screaming out for help. i still got that little inner child screaming out for attention, dear Lord, and all I wanna do is glorify you, dear Lord, because you're my best friend, you're my only friend. I know the world will forsake me, but you never will, dear Lord. You took me in, you gave me a new life, and I'm just so thankful for it, dear Lord. So the way things came out of my mouth today, dear Lord, it all came to glorify you, and I'm so thankful that you were in my life, dear Lord. Thank you for Union, Gospel, Mission, the staff, and the beautiful people that come in there, dark, lost, alone, dear Lord, in that coldness, dear Lord. You're that light and that warmth that can enter into their hearts and just bring them to you, dear Lord. So I ask you to just work in my brother's heart that are at the mission, all my sisters that care all these missions, dear Lord. It doesn't have to be union gospel mission. It could be any mission that just puts you first, dear Lord, because you're the only one that can provide for us and heal us and pull us out of this darkness, dear Lord. And I thank you that I was one of them. And I'm thankful for this church. Thank you for the people. Thank you for everyone here, dear Lord. It's my new family and I'm so grateful for it, dear Lord. Ask to solve in your most sweet and precious name. Amen.